At the turn of the millennia, a young 26-year-old filmmaker was determined to get to the bottom of a strange secret society that he'd heard so much about, the Bohemian Grove. It sounds a little too eerie to be real. The most elite members of the country meet here. They're typically rich, conservative, and white. Perhaps unsurprisingly, they're also heavily involved with politics. But in this playground for the rich, there was supposedly a lot more sinister activity going on, with the worst of it allegedly being human sacrifices. This filmmaker got his crew and courage together to find out the truth. One of the facets of the ritual that goes deeply into the occult, and we've already mentioned the druids at their bonfires or bonfires throwing, throwing bodies into fiery pits. And do you recognize that voice? The one telling you that the ritual he witnessed was evil? Here, let me play another clip. Books on the occult, even the Encyclopedia Britannica on what the Druids would engage in. Uh, this is just unbelievably macabre and evil. Still not clicking? Okay, one more try. Give me a break. You think I am like shocked by it, so I'm up here bashing it because I don't like gay people? I don't like them putting chemicals in the water that turn the friggin' frogs gay! And that's right, the man behind this massive exposition is none other than Alex Jones. And yes, that Alex Jones. Honestly, if you've ever wanted to slowly watch how Jones became a conspiracy theorist in real time, then I do recommend this documentary he created on Bohemian Grove. About 25 minutes into it, he explains that he used to believe in the government and he didn't subscribe to the conspiracy theory mindset of thinking. Black helicopters, a symbol for New World Order takeover and an old school conspiracy fan favorite had never mattered to him. But soon he started seeing them everywhere. They'd shoot into restaurants, he said. They terrorized towns. And as Alex explained, he wouldn't be part of these supposed inbred New World Order people plans. I'm not sure what inbreeding has to do with it, but Alex certainly won't be a part of it. However, this Alex of the year 2000 wasn't the ranting, horrific school shooting denier we know and despise. Not yet, anyway. And back then, it actually seemed like he might have a point. He did witness powerful politicians burning an effigy in front of a 40-foot owl statue. So maybe his conspiracies did have some legs to them. It's not hard to see why the public would be a bit wary, at least. Last time I checked, I wasn't spending my weekends in July sacrificing anything to an owl totem the size of a three-story house. But it wasn't like that, the club insisted. Bohemian Grove and its wealthy members said that the ceremony was a quote, traditional musical drama celebrating nature and summertime. And I'm gonna be honest, the footage is pretty weird and eerie, but it is taken out of context. They claim this is only a performance, nothing to see. So go home, Alex Jones. But the bigger question is, who do you believe? The rich Republican politicians burning an effigy for fun or Alex Jones? Really, there's no easy choice because both honestly suck. But I wanted to get to the bottom of this myself. And on today's Dark Dive episode, we're gonna take a look at what is the Bohemian Grove and is it as sinister as it sounds? I wanna make it clear that I'm neither Republican nor Democrat. For the first time in history, they're admitting it. George Why Bush the vice presidential Jr. decision was made at Bohemian Grove. George Bush Sr., the former president, and Golden Bow and others. So now they're just throwing it in everybody's face. We're gonna go blow the party for them and get the information out to people. We're not gonna stop, we're getting in their face. I think all of those things, there, there had to be, in my belief, a, an occultist, a deep occultist, 
who designed each of the elements of this ceremony. It wasn't just a bunch of guys sit together at a bar and said, hey, let's have a good time in the cremation of care. Long live the Constitution and death to the new world order. We stand firm. We stand strong for America against your evil bush. And we're going to get this story out. And we're going to continue to push it because the truth will not be. First, let's go ahead and answer the obvious question here. What is the Bohemian Grove? Well, it's basically a giant, beautiful campsite in California among the Redwoods. It all started back in 1872 with a group of journalists from the San Francisco Examiner, as well as musicals and artists. The Bohemian Club, as it was called then, was meant to invoke the imagery of an intellectual urban Bohemian, or as you and I might call it, a fancy schmancy artist. So fancy, in fact, that they put on theatrical performances, had an owl as a mascot, and made up strange rituals like the cremation of care. The cremation of care is one in which the members supposedly burn an effigy that represents all their cares of the world and allows them to be literally carefree. I won't lie, it does sound like a pretty sweet ritual. Imagine making a giant scarecrow of bills and then burning it on an altar. Sure, that would make me feel a twinge of satisfaction and that was supposed to be for the purpose of these early day Bohemian Grove folks. But bit by bit, wealthy businessmen slowly infiltrated the club. No, they didn't make a Trojan horse and sneak their way inside, but as membership expanded, the people became richer, whiter, and more powerful. Instead of primarily poets, novelists, and artsy people like Mark Twain, now you had people like Richard Nixon joining the ranks. And naturally, the bigger the bigwigs, the less they want people to know. So again, this is going to make some people just a bit suspicious. I mean, we've seen conspiracies around a pizza shop, so is it any surprise that people are curious about Bohemian Grove? Sociology professor William Domhoff argues it's not necessarily that deep and that the club is not a place of power, quote. It's a place where the powerful relax, enjoy each other's company, and get to know some of the artists, entertainers, and professors who are included to give the occasion a thin veneer of cultural and intellectual pretension. And truly, I would love to believe that. Despite the roster of politicians that attend the campsite, spiders aren't weaving webs there. That's the Bohemian Grove model. It's a line to tell people to keep their business and personal lives separate from this place, but few seem convinced. Even years after Alex Jones's documentary, Vanity Fair wrote an article about the place called Bohemian Tragedy. Journalist Alex Shumatov said that members of these exclusive clubs imagine themselves as the moral underpinnings of America's greatness, and that the club itself is the quote, opus day of the Protestant American establishment. And that's also used as an explanation why there's so few black people, Jewish people, or women that attend or have a membership. This isn't some cool way for a bunch of wealthy, powerful friends to camp, it's something more sinister. Former Nazis and KKK members have all been to the camp, and most of the women that do attend are supposedly just sex workers. Richard Nixon even once called the camp, quote, the most F-slur goddamned thing you could ever imagine. I guess peeing all over redwoods, potentially harvesting the rare trees, taking part in strange rituals, and generally speaking, acting kind of douchey is the point of this place. And while that's not great, it's almost like a frat club. Presidents giving themselves time to act immature. And sure, everyone needs to let their hair down, but when you have some supremely powerful people that may discuss some pretty damn sensitive topics, it's no wonder that everyone from average citizens to average conspiracists want to know what the hell is happening behind closed doors. 
And truthfully, it's not like we're gonna be finding out anytime soon. Some retired CIA and FBI agents guard the area and they sure don't take kindly to strangers judging from how they've treated journalists who try to trespass. Though obviously trespassing bad, I think that's obvious. Instead of just, you know, telling them to leave, they took the Vanity Fair writer, Alex, to a conference room. They had him empty his pockets, photographed him, distributed his photo and information, and made him wait for bail for six hours. To avoid supposed criminal charges, he had to write a monthly report for four months and was told that if he ever set foot in the Grove again, he'd, quote, be really in trouble. And that's all for just going near the Grove, when they didn't even have no trespassing signs posted. All of this just leaves a bad taste in my mouth. The way they treat people and treat the environment is pathetic. These are supposed to be world leaders and intellectuals, not drunk college partiers. Protests have spoken out against this, not liking how the club operates and insisting it's a way for privileged men to do deals in the dark. And as it turns out, these protesters like Miss Moore actually have good reason to be suspicious. Miss Moore hasn't cared much about the urinating on trees or getting drunk parts of the Bohemian Grove. She doesn't even really care if these men want to burn some scarecrow thing to a 40-foot owl. Do what you want in your personal time and that's up to you, especially for not hurting anyone. However, some of the deals that are made here can hurt people thanks to the frequent lakeside talks that have taken place at the Grove over the years. Think of these lakeside chats as like a fireside chat. It's when these powerful people give speeches at a small lake in an area. And despite that whole spiders don't weave webs here line, there's allegedly a lot of web weaving at these events. The first and probably most notable one is the 1942 Manhattan Project. And if you're not aware of what that is, it's the research project that produced the very first atomic bombs. This was a top secret program because at the time there were whisperings that Germany may have developed atomic weapons too. The US was rushing to beat Germany to the punch. And if you know how World War II ends, then you know how that went. You'd think and certainly hope that these conversations would be held in the White House or somewhere that everyone who needs to know about this type of thing can actually be there to hear about it and no one else. Honestly, that seems more secure to me than talking about it at this like boys club slash frat house by the lake kind of setting. I mean, as we established earlier, it wasn't only politicians and powerful figures there, but CEOs, actors, artists, and even the occasional Alex Jones poking his head in unannounced but I guess the club members, the geniuses that they are, didn't consider this. Harold Fiddler, who sent weekly reports to the overseer of the Manhattan Project, Colonel James Marshall, later spoke about his experience in 1965 at Berkeley, California. In this interview, he stated that though he wasn't there, many of the key pieces of the project had been decided at the Grove. The very name, the Manhattan Project was decided on there, as well as how materials and power was supplied. Take a listen to this clip from the interview that demonstrates this. So you came well, that was on August 16th. I came out there, and you must remember the reason I'm mentioning yeah. this is Groves got into the project September the 11th. So I came out here, was here just for a few days when Colonel Nichols came out for one of the, the big meetings, which is written up in Hewlett's book, I think, that uh, uh, Lawrence took them up to the Bohemian Grove Bohemian for a decision Grove, yes. of the thing. That's when... Uh, 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 Briggs was here, uh, Lyman Briggs, and uh, Conan Yuri, came, and Yuri, Conant, and Eager Murphy, I think, was there. Cooksey will know about it, because he went on up to the thing. And there was a Colonel Crenshaw, Major Crenshaw at the time, who was out here to be the representative. 
And uh, after this meeting, it was decided that they would. And as a small note, the first reference Fiddler makes to Groves is, I believe, Leslie Groves, who was on the review committee, while the other two mentions of Bohemian Groves are the club that we're talking about today, just in case there's some confusion. Anyway, after this part of the interview, Fiddler continues to explain that after the meeting, it was decided on what plant they would use for their electric power. Fiddler admits that since he wasn't there, he's not entirely sure about what was discussed, and other sources like the Washington Post don't go beyond saying that the planning of this project was talked about at the Grove, nothing more. Either way, whether the Manhattan Project was mentioned briefly or extensively, this isn't a good look for all the members of the club. Some spiders they are, not bothering to leave their webs at home. It's upsetting because this is such a vital and important project and it shouldn't have been done only with your buddies at the lake. When you don't include other politicians that deserve to be there and know what's going on, it just comes across as taking matters into your own hands and it's just being a little clicky. Plus, let's be honest here, Republicans would be absolutely furious if they found out that Joe Biden, Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, and Kamala Harris were hanging out at some campsite in California and talking about where we should build the newest weapon of mass destruction. Again, I don't know if that's exactly how things went, but just given how exclusive and how much of a supposed like Republican club this is, it sure kind of seems that way. And if the tables were turned, they'd be pissed. But as per usual, it doesn't get better from here. The next lakeside chit-chat that had vital consequences for the country was a little over two decades later in 1967. Apparently, it was there at the Bohemian Grove when Richard Nixon and Ronald Reagan decided who should seek the presidency first. In the orderly transfer of power, we celebrate the unity that keeps us free. Clearly, Nixon won that battle and Reagan wasn't president until 14 years later. But again, this is some seriously important political chat happening at the Bohemian Grove. And in this case, it's a touch different as neither of them were president yet and were essentially telling one another, let's take turns who goes first. I was even able to find Nixon's Lakeside Talk that year published on Nixon's library website. After a brief greeting and talking about how happy he is to be there, Nixon says that he wants to discuss foreign policy and does so for the next nine pages worth of text. Again, I am not saying that these guys can't have their weird rituals to relax, but gatekeeping this kind of information and potential decisions around something so important seems so wrong. That whole don't do business rule in the Grove is said to be widely ignored. And clearly we can see that based on the Manhattan Project, but it's discouraging all the same. Decades later, another event like this took place when in 1995, George H.W. Bush introduced his son to the club, claiming that his son would make a great president someday. Bush Sr. rubbed shoulders with the best of them, sharing a camp with top executives from Bank of America, General Motors, and Procter & Gamble. And you can see this in one of two ways. Maybe it's merely a throwaway comment of a father praising a child. He'll make a great president, a great scientist, a great insert profession here. It's possible that George H.W. Bush was merely trying to praise his son. But considering that his son did go on to become president, it just, once again, it's a weird little icky coincidence. If any profession is to be subject to nepotism, it should not be this one. And to further extrapolate, it should be no position in the government. I hate that we literally have nepotistic lines on all sides of all the fucking aisles. I'm over that shit, but anyway, I digress. Now, it's obviously impossible to know for sure or if how much of this lakeside speech impacted things. However, when some say that Nixon's lakeside talk was a key setting and the start of his comeback, 
It's not hard to wonder if these presidents were sort of chosen behind closed doors. But again, there's more because there's always more. Another well-known and controversial lakeside chat came from 1981's Secretary of Defense, Caspar Weinberger. According to the New York Times, his talk seemed to quote, hint strongly of the military buildup to follow. That very same year, Mary Moore of the Bohemian Grove Action Network held vigils to protest war, nuclear weapons, profiteering, racism, and sexism. All things that Grove members have been accused of promoting. And while many of Casper's remarks didn't actually reach anyone outside of the Grove, the topic on rearming America, which for a secretary of defense, it just hardly sounds like he's keeping his business and personal life separate. Mary Moore said at the time that the campus, quote, where these men in anonymity and without public scrutiny make policy decisions and sustain contracts that often have catastrophic effects on our daily lives and indeed on the life of our planet. And she's really not wrong. I have yet to see anyone other than these powerful men talk about this club in any really positive way. All of them have similar values. They're working together to accomplish what they want, to massively affect our world in ways that will benefit them ultimately and you know their shareholders and I guess people they care about or want to do business with. One of the only exceptions I've seen to this rich white man trope is actually Clarence Thomas, who, as we know, isn't really much better, not by a long shot. It says that the luxury vacations from billionaire Harlan Crow were never disclosed. And according to these ProPublica, uh, Pro these are photos of Clarence Thomas and his wife, Ginny Thomas, with Crow and others during a trip to Indonesia. Maybe you've read in recent years that Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas has been given luxury vacations by his sugar daddy. I'm sorry, I meant donor Harlan Crow. Unsurprisingly, these trips have included the Bohemian Grove. Therefore, it seems pretty reasonable to say that obscenely wealthy and conservative people are all too happy to bend the political rules around gifts a bit, even while in these sacred boys club areas. And I'm sorry, but you just can't tell me that Clarence Thomas wasn't being lobbied in the slightest. Sure, maybe it is possible, but I simply don't believe these are only friendly gatherings. Not when multiple important political discussions have previously happened at the Grove. By all means, have fun in a private camping site, but not at the expense of other people that aren't there to fend for themselves. Unfortunately, this last bit truly has not registered with those at Bohemian Grove because they do more than gossip, exclude, and discriminate. Even the people that are there, they treat like trash. We'll start by talking about the sexism at Bohemian Grove. They may as well post signs on the surrounding trees that say no girls allowed, like G-I-R-L-Z, because that's the childish attitude they foster here. Back in 1987, the New York Times said it was the end of Bohemian Grove as they knew it, unless they started including women, whether as members or employees. See, you can't just have a big fancy 2,700 acre club and then discriminate against having women in the vicinity, even if they're working there. And it wasn't even as if Bohemian Grove was told that they'd need to shut down immediately, simply that they couldn't have a tax exempt status and liquor license with their discriminatory hiring practices. And yes, by the way, they have a tax exempt status. Isn't that just a little weird? But why didn't they want to hire women to serve their food, park their cars and clean the facilities? After all, this is glamping to the extreme, not camping, not by any definition of the word camping at least. The reason is pretty simple and pretty pathetic, honestly. The guys like walking around naked and making quote, pee pee jokes. That, 
Wow, that's something I had to say. Anyway. Oh, and they apparently love mocking women too. And what fun would that be in a wilderness retreat if they can't whip it out and pee on a tree? These are our political leaders, just, just remember that. Now, a couple of years after the members were told, you have to hire women, reporter Philip Weiss went to the Bohemian Grove to chat with the members about it and see what they thought. He wrote, quote, and this one's kind of long, but um, I promise this whole quote is very interesting. Inside the grove, there is a feeling of mournful inevitability about the day women will join the encampment. Bohemians talk about how much it will muddle things. It would screw everything up, excuse the pun, said an old timer sipping a drink by the river. There'd be a lot more preening and peacocking than there already is, a big gay bohemian told me. Members have cited their privilege to walk about in various states of undress. And former California governor, Pat Brown, has said publicly many times that the presence of women would keep bohemians from enjoying their hallowed freedom to pee. Yes, that is just so tragic. Nixon would be so saddened to hear that gone are the days when these political leaders could whip it out and piss on a rare redwood tree. What a tragedy. But seriously, in all actuality, how pathetic is that? Like this is the reason these politicians and executives could not bear to have a woman in their presence? How about just not peeing on the redwood trees? Is that so much to ask for? I guess it is. Now, before anyone goes out of their way to defend these folks, even though I highly doubt any of you are really doing that, it's not as if the Bohemian Grove hired five, 10, or even a hundred people and the state of California was calling them out for it. They had a workforce of about 300 people in 1987, and that number, I'm sure, has only climbed in recent years. And again, as far as the liquor license goes, California wasn't bullying them into giving it up because they don't like women. They had the wrong license for almost 30 years, apparently. These presidents and politicians and CEOs and leaders of these giant corporations didn't know they had the wrong liquor license for their private club. Again, these are people leading the country, leading politics, leading government, and leading massive companies. This isn't the only trouble Bohemian Grove has gotten with its workforce though. Most recently, three valets have stepped forward, Anthony Gregg, Sean Granger, and Walid Saad, saying that they were paid less than minimum wage and had to work seven days a week and 15 hour days for the exclusive events. Oh, and they were, quote, directed to falsify time cards to show 40 hour work weeks too. They were already being paid about half of what they earned, but below minimum wage to boot. There is no excuse for this happening when they're waiting on some of the richest and most powerful people in the world. This is the absolute epitome of what's wrong with the US at times. We have exorbitantly rich men building their luxuries on the backs of hard workers that they treat like dirt. And to be frank, I don't care if Clarence Thomas or George Bush or whatever former president and politician wasn't their direct manager. They're all compliant in this. They all set up this fancy club that exploits everyone around it for their exclusive benefit. And just for the whataboutisms, I don't care if Democrats, left-leaning folks, independents, I don't care who's there. This is wrong all the same. I, I understand that this apparently leans very Republican, so everyone's gonna go, you're just hating on Republicans. This one isn't about really hating on Republicans, though they just happen to be the ones mainly partaking in this. If the shoe was on the other foot, the message would still be the same here, and this episode would still happen. But the place basically has president-elects, current presidents, former presidents, and wealthy businessmen benefiting from laws being broken just to have fun. But no, they insist, they have nothing to do with it. Quote, 
The Bohemian Club has always valued and respected its employees, and that includes our commitment to full compliance with all applicable wage and hour laws and regulations, Sam Singer, a communications representative for the San Francisco-based club, said in a written statement. And I'm sorry, but these valets also provide guests with food, drinks, and hospitality services. How dim-witted do you have to be to not notice that the same person is at your beck and call every single second of the day, or, you know, at least 15 hours the day? Think about it. If you sleep eight hours a day like you're supposed to, that only leaves one single hour for these employees to have to themselves because they have to spend the other 15 working. Hell, these three employees that sued said they even worked 16 hour plus days for the entire duration of a two week camp. I'd like to think that if you or I went camping and had the same person at your side every single second, every single day, you might realize, hey, isn't it past your shift time? Don't you get a break? Shouldn't you go home and get some sleep? But no, these executives and higher-ups either don't notice or don't care. And again, let me make it perfectly clear, the Bohemian Club itself may or may not have been in charge of their payroll, but in my opinion, and to me personally, that doesn't really make a difference. People this wealthy can do the bare minimum of making sure the people fetching their drinks for two weeks can get a decent paycheck out of it. I know it will not hurt a single one of their wallets to do so. Of course, while the Bohemian Club would sit there and whine about how this isn't their job, some tell a different story. Quote, I sent employment record requests to the Bohemian Club, Bohemian Grove, Monastery Camp, and Pomelo LLC, said Nunez, the plaintiff's attorney. I heard back from two different firms, Monastery and the club itself. Both told me essentially to go pound sand. And I guess we can just toss labor violations onto the ever-growing list of what's wrong with this place. Now, I know that in recent years, protests have waned at the Bohemian Grove, but it's so important to remember that this place does exist, it is real, it's not just a conspiracy theory, and that deals have happened, can happen, and in my opinion, probably still do happen and will continue to happen behind these closed doors, and that the members of the Bohemian Grove may be even worse than you believe. If that's possible, I don't know, maybe it's not. And I guess don't trespass among the Redwoods because you might just get arrested. Sure, but I think just about anyone stumbling onto this place unintentionally might need some eye bleach if just even half of the stories are true. But with all of that being said, that's where we're ending today's episode of Dark Dives. I hope you learned something new here today. And if you did, make sure that you're liking, following, and subscribing to stay up to date with all the latest episodes. I really appreciate you spending some of your time here with me today. I know there's a million and a half things in the world you could be doing. So thank you so much, and I'll see you in the next one. Bye.